KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios. You'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. It's 24 hour sports, morning, noon, and night here on 1460 KXNO. Hi, right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, 11 o'clock hour, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Uh, coming up this hour on the BMW of Des Moines uh, guest list, we will have Zuba Mahente in about 10 minutes or thereabouts, and then Austin Arnaud uh, at 11.40. We'll catch up with Austin. Look forward to doing that. Tomorrow, a couple more quarterbacks, Trent Condon, that both played in this game. Ricky yeah. Stanzi will join us, well, 24 hours from right now. And then Brett Meyer is going to join us immediately following Ricky Stanzi. So Stanzi and Meyer tomorrow. Austin and Arnaud still to come. Looking forward to uh, speaking with all three of those dudes. So it'll be the first Cyhawk game for Brock Purdy. He's seen some big ones last year. Yes. But the first one and the hype surrounding this game. You know, I do wonder about that. Matt Campbell's going to say everything positive, everything mm-hmm. that he should. But on campus this week, it's different. It has to be, right? Cyhawk week's always important. And it's always yep. big. And yep. you get the rivalry. And, and that happens every week. But this is different. The amount of distractions that are happening here. I was gone through things like this under Kirk Ferentz. And that's why I asked Doc that question yesterday. If he's talked to any of the players after the game. Mm-hmm. Not using it as an excuse. Sure. But just to see what they dealt with, to your point. Matt Campbell has not. Matt Campbell was at Mountain Union. Matt Campbell was in the MAC. Mm-hmm. Toledo. Matt Campbell's been at Iowa State. He's never dealt with something like this before. Has anybody on the staff dealt? Uh, it is because it is different and being pulled a million different directions. And you're in class that day, and people are talking about it. That's all people are talking about all throughout the week. And you're sitting here getting lunch in between classes before practice, and people are coming up to your table, and that's all they want to talk about. It's a different type of distraction. How does that team handle it? And, and I think hand-in-hand. Hand. It goes without saying fast starts are important in any game, any football game. I mean, keys to the game. Pretty much every single time you could say, get off to a good start. This one, though, I think things could snowball either way. Either all that hype and everything gets rolling, and there's an early turnover, and Iowa State jumps on top, and it's a frenzy, and it, it could go one way or the other way. Iowa gets out to an early lead. One of those negative things happened to Iowa State, and all this buildup and all this hype, and it just, what happened? You know, get blindsided by it. I think that's uh, even more important than usual. Fast start and how this hype is dealt with is going to be incredibly big this week. No, it's clearly an angle, Trent. We don't know uh, the answer to it because it's never happened before, mm-hmm. but it's certainly something to pay attention to. It. And you're right, there, there's always hype around this game. It's the biggest game in the state, period. There, period. Uh, but when you add the extracurriculars of uh, game day coming to town, it does elevate it to another level. No doubt about that. Let's put football on the back burner for a couple of minutes. All right. Because we, we're we running around on baseball, and well, we, I don't like it. Yes, we're yes. cheating on baseball. I'm sorry, baseball. But it's the way it happens every year. But, but we got an what? 11 over here, and it's called football. <laughs> and, but Tuesday, Wednesday are for baseball, and it yes. certainly will be at my house. And I'm going to be watching the Twins and the Nationals. Later on, I'll get catch up with the Padres and the Cubs because they don't start until after 9, and that game is on. On NBC Sports Chicago, I believe tonight is what I saw in the register before I left. Nico Horner, uh, what a debut for him last night! Trent, I'm not going to lie and say I saw it. I didn't. Um, 
but you know, this is a kid who never swung at a pitch above Double A, and he gets to the show last night. And you know he's not Javier Baez, but few are. But he made some plays in the field, had a triple, drove in a run. What was he three for four, three mm-hmm. for five, whatever he was last night? What a debut for the former first round pick! Uh, certainly looked good in his Cubs debut. And look at this Cubs team. They, they I don't, I'm not saying the Hornets the answer, but they needed something because mm-hmm. they just looked lackluster. Needed a jolt, much like Castellanos was that jolt. But right, he around was the again deadline. last night in the first inning. Yeah, my God. What a pickup. And they needed that kind of thing with, with the injury to Baez. And it just, what happened over the weekend against Milwaukee, mm. losing those final three games mm-hmm. of the four-game set, how bad they looked in a couple of those spots. You're right. They needed some kind of jolt. How about this? The last four Cubs with three hits in their Major League debut. The last four Cubs. Oh, boy. I, I wouldn't even, I'm not even going to venture a guess. Slay them on me. Junior Lake. Junior Six Lake. Six years ago. Whatever happened to Junior Lake? That's a great question. I saw that name and I had the exact same thought. Whatever happened <laughs> to Junior Lake? Junior. Yep. Okay. Here's a name you'll remember. Okay. Opening day 2008. Young man making his way from across the pond from the Far East. Hesop Choi. No, not Hesop Choi. <laughs> Fukudome. Ah, yes. Fukudome okay. with All that right. wild swing and his yep. bat to go flying. He had the bat flip before bat, bat flips were in vogue. He just did it every single time he was up there. He had three hits in his debut. And then before that, you have to go 20 years previous from that, back to 1988, September 2nd, mm. 1988. Doug? Glanville? Nope. I don't know. What position did you play? Outfield? Don't know. Descenzo? Doug Dicenzo, I don't know. I don't remember the name. I don't. I really don't. I saw the name, and you I was know, trying to it. wrap boy, my mind boy, around I it. hope Horner doesn't become a part of that list as far as the success that they didn't have in most cases. Not exactly a who's no. who. No, for by a long way. Horner last night, three for five, drove in four, scored twice. How about that for a debut at shortstop? And he made a couple of plays in the field, as I mentioned. Having to go to his left a little bit. Yeah. Uh, contorted, uh, turned completely around, and, and Rizzo bailed him out at first base. But Rizzo does that to a lot of guys at first base. No Russell in the lineup last night. No Bryant in the lineup last, last night. Obviously, no Javier Baez last night. But the Cubs, they've got four and they've got three left in San Diego. be nice for them to get to, I hate to say that they need all four, but boy, they certainly seem uh, to be in a precarious spot right now. Good news is Diamondbacks got uh, got beat last mm-hmm. night, so they moved a little bit uh, ahead of the Snakes who were hot on their trail. That's the positive to take out of this here. Do you have any hope of running down the Cardinals? No, not the Cardinals. I don't think so. Well, you got... Seven games left with them. You're down four. You go five and two. Mm. That cuts it down to one. I mean, it's not over by any means. The good, yeah, the final couple of the weeks of the season give you hope, but you'd certain because what is it right now? What are where are they right now? Four games. Four games. Four back exactly in the all. And the Cardinals are in Rockyville, right? They're in Denver tonight, I believe they are. Yes, that's not. Yep. Um, Yes, the at that Colorado. The way that they're playing right now, though, do you have any hope of the? You'd like to see before that series, before the first of the those two series, that they've cut it to maybe three, shave a game between now and then. That's not asking a lot. And you're going to see Scherzer more than likely in the wild card game against the Nats. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. They can still chase them down even to yeah, to at least so? get it at home. I don't know. Do you really think they can? Two and a half. 
Got to play better baseball, though. Got to play better baseball. Where do they go after uh, San Diego? After San Diego, they're home for the Pirates. Home to the Pirates, home to the uh, Reds, Reds, and then off they go next uh, next weekend for a four-game set in St. Louis. No, that's at home. Oh, that's at home. That's at so home. So the St. Louis series at St. Louis ends this season. That's right. Yes. Gotcha. That will be, in fact, uh, next weekend, the 22nd, that will be the finale in Wrigley because they go to Pittsburgh before going to St. Louis to wrap things up. Mm. Last time we see him in Wrigley Field this year? Yes. I think the odds yes. would say yes. Last time Joe Madden puts on a Cubs oh. jersey in Wrigley Field next weekend? I would say yes. yes. David Kaplan joins tomorrow. Going to be a good show tomorrow. Uh, Cappy part of it. Uh, Brett Meyer part of it. Ricky Stanzi part of it. Zuba Mahente is part of this one. He's next. Austin Arnaud still to come. Miller and Condon. 12 minutes after the hour of 11, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXO, 25 minutes away from Austin Arnaud joining the program. Right now, let's head to Bristol, shall we? Game day is coming to Ames, as we know. Zubin Mahente, ESPN, joins the conversation. Zubin, it's Cyhawk Week, a week you're very familiar with from the time you spent working at WOI. How are you, Zubin Mahente? Doing great. I know I just had texted you this over the weekend. I just told Trent this. Um, in the commercial break, but when I saw it flash across the screen uh, during the Texas LSU game, uh, I was doing a late night Sports Center, and I got home as it was after Stanford USC. Washington was still playing. Yep. <laughs> What's going on right now? Really? Four o'clock in the morning. I should be asleep, and Washington's on, so I had it on. And at a locale like this, that obviously they've never been to, uh, they really want to get started early. So I would just implore your viewers. I know we've done this before with a couple of thirty for thirties. If there's anything that you think is great, and you know how it is on game day, it's got to be more than just Iowa, Iowa State. Um, if, if somebody's got something that's amazing, that's got to be featured, you know, have them reach out to you, and then you can pop it to me. But some of the things we were talking about were the Cyhawk documentary, I think is basically landing at the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. for something like this. We talked about Pete Taylor. I know Alabama fans love Eli Gold, and Georgia fans love Larry Munson. But for Iowa State, to put Pete Taylor out there, 24 years calling football, 19 for basketball with fans loving uh, the voice of their team. Sitting down with Kirk Ferentz, I think Kirk and Kirk would be great. Herbie and Ferentz, you know, the longest tenured coach, top five, Big Ten win. All three of his boys played for him. I'd love to see a discussion of the most underrated rivalries in college football and if Iowa and Iowa State were to make the cut. Uh, I threw out a tongue-in-cheek piece on the trophy. As you guys know, mm-hmm. the trophy has gone through various different iteration. Um, I threw out Jason Momoa. He's a little bit of a pop culture guy as the picker. Uh, he's Aquaman from Des Moines. I'm sure a lot of you know that. Sometimes it doesn't stick strictly to sports. Sometimes you're always looking for that sports person, but game based picker has obviously been over the years, a variety of people. And then we just basically said, you got to introduce people to the rivalry. Trent, as much as this hurts, you got to go back and explain the 98 game and how much everything mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. when the 15 game winning streak came to an end. You got to show Shaggy's kick you got to show the triple overtime game. I know I'm just picking Iowa State games here. Sorry, Trent. But it's one of those <laughs> things where there are so many great things that we were just debating. We stayed up all night long. I got home about 4, went to bed about 7, 
and got up to watch the NFL. So all that's in consideration. A guy from the Hall of Pride reached out to me today to maybe see if they can get involved somehow since they basically span football, not just college, but high school as well in the celebration of the state. So if you got something along the line mentioned or something better, uh, reach out to me. And I'll pass it on to the appropriate folks. Well, you can do so by going through Trent and I at our Twitter, at Miller and Condon, and we will certainly pass it on uh, to Zubin. Well, Zubin, uh, you, did you cover the 98 game, by the way? I got there in 01. Okay. I was there for the 01, which is a very emotional game after September 11th. Yeah, moved to November. November. Yeah, and then obviously the 02 game with the Brad Banks fumble and that with him for weeks, and then he ended up being the Heisman runner-up. Mm-hmm. So many things in, in the time that I was there, 01, 02, 03, 04, 05. So you saw Iowa State won the first two games you were at, right? Because they won the game that got moved to November. Of course, 2002 was the famous comeback. Well, famous for an Iowa State fan, but it was a great year for Iowa nonetheless. Um, that was Seneca and Whitfer and company doing their thing after yeah. they trailed at halftime. And then Iowa put a couple on them, and then... Uh, your final game, was that the game in 05? Drew Tate got knocked out That's early. That's the game you yep. got hurt at Iowa. Preseason top it, 10 Iowa. Yes, 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 yes. The one game on 2001 will always have a little extra meaning. Um, I remember the emotion. I think I spoke to Trent about this when you guys were, as Ken would like to say, up the dial. But it was <laughs> one of those things where Mike Banks was a little-known tight end at Iowa State at the time. And mm-hmm. I remember after they had won, if I'm not mistaken, that may have been their fourth straight win in the series. And every year when I worked at Channel 5, and I think they may still do it, although I've lost touch with a lot of the people since John has left, um, I remember him imploringly looking into our camera, because the field is obviously chaos after the game, and just screaming into the camera with his four fingers up like he was running for a politician like four more years, where he was just talking about how it was a cyclone state. And he was just, it was just sort of like, I would, I would say this in a positive way, like a positive, unhinged moment, right? It was just one of those moments where the emotion flowed out of a guy that hasn't been center stage in this rivalry. I think even ardent Iowa State fans would be hard-pressed to remember Mike Banks, but that's why it kind of resonates. Just a guy like that that can make his career almost like the football equivalent mm-hmm. of a LaFesta Rhodes, if you will, right? You just have that one moment, and fans will always remember. And I think I, I told this to the guys this week. I said, Whatever your all-time attendance record is, and I don't know what that record would be over the years, I said, be prepared for it to fall. I don't have any, you know, I told them, look, the team's won four bowl games in its history, and Ken, I think I heard you say last week on your show that they've sold like 47,000 season tickets. Mm-hmm. I mean, 47,000 season tickets for, for a program that's won four bowl games all basically in the last 20 years? I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize the loyalty everybody within earshot of hearing us talk understands the loyalty of the Iowa State fan base. But I don't think nationally it's really accepted or understood. And I think once people see the turnout, and I even told the guys, I said, whatever you think it is, to use a gambling term, take the over, because I think Iowa State is really going to show out on Saturday and shock the country. It won't shock Central Iowa, because I know what you guys are all about. But I think for a lot of people uninitiated to this rivalry, they're going to learn a lot about it. Tailgate, tailgate light lots were open at 5 a.m. Uh, 8 o'clock is when game day will start. It's supposed in to rain for what? Today and tomorrow? I'm worried about the grass lots. Supposed to you... clear off, though, later in the week. And, so. Yeah, fingers crossed, certainly on that. The numbers are going to be incredible, Zoom. Yep. It's going to be such a party. It is right next to the stadium, and that's something that isn't always the case. When it's been in Iowa City in the past, 
It's on the other side of the river. It's not even on the same side of the river that the actual stadium is on. This is going to be a completely different level. Also with the setup and the way the Jack Trice is set up, with all the tailgate lots so close there, it's going to be an unbelievable environment. We heard so many great things last year about Washington State on the national scale and getting getting out to the Palouse and getting there to Washington State, a difficult one. Guess, look forward. What Take out your crystal ball. What nationally, not just Herb Street and everybody there, but what are people going to be saying, do you believe, about this environment? Well, I think the first thing that people are going to latch on to, obviously, is Matt Campbell. Now, I know, obviously, this game is critically marred almost by what happened in the Northern Iowa game, but I think <laughs> the first thing you have to do is you have to just step out and say to the audience at large, what do they know? And I would be hard-pressed. I mean, if you said to me, ask the average college football fan who the longest-tenured coach in the country is, I, I, I think a lot of people would have trouble coming up mm-hmm. with Kirk Ferentz. Sure. I mean, I can't tell you, you guys, how many press conferences I've been to. I remember once being, where was I? I was at the Outback Bowl once, and they, it, you know, they gave the trophy to. And, I mean, this, by this time, Kirk had been a well-established head coach. Let's bring up Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Oh, my goodness, is this still happening? I mean, like, after all these years. So I think they have to kind of go with what people know. And I think right now Matt Campbell might be the more well-known coach, believe it or not, despite Iowa having had the longest tenured coach in the country. They've basically had two coaches in 40 years. I think Matt Campbell is the story there. I think Brock Purdy having turned down Alabama, even though that's not exactly, you know, I mean, it's not the sexiest story in the world, but that will open some eyes. It's the casual fan says, oh, interesting, interest from Alabama, and showed up at Iowa State. You see the type of player that he's turned into. I'd also love to see them chronicle some of the great players over the time, not in the series, but just from Iowa, from Bacher to Dallas Clark to Robert Gallery. I think those are the sorts of things that bring a lot of fans into the mix as well. So if you're not particularly interested in the rivalry, what has the state of Iowa contributed to college football, Heisman Trophy runner-up, a Heisman Trophy winner, a former number one team, one of the most legendary coaches in the history of the sport, and that's just for Iowa. And Iowa State's obviously got the question of, you know, who is Jack Price? Do a mm-hmm. lot of people know he was Good point. first African-American player? You know, so those are the sorts of things. When it's an un- If this is Michigan-Ohio State or even, you know, Auburn-Alabama or something like that, I don't think you really have to initiate the audience. But this time around, um, because it's so hyper-local to you guys knowing all these things. Just think about the average person sitting where I am in Connecticut or Portland or Austin that wants to know more about this rivalry. And I think at the end of the day, when you sort of indicate how much enmity there is for a week, because I think the state is pretty docile otherwise, it's a great state, but for the one week where you're at each other's throats, that's something Alabama and Auburn fans can say, well, we're actually at each other's throats 52 weeks a year, but we get it, you know. We get your sort of rivalry. So I think you need to get fans into understanding how much there is between these two. And then if you're outside of the state, you say to yourself, yep, we got that same sort of rivalry with this other school. So just sort of make it relatable. Zubin, do you get the sense, I mean, go back to Saturday, and obviously Maryland blew out Syracuse, but... If it's a close, if it's a last second field goal that goes Maryland's way, because watching game day, you know, trying to, you know, trying to listen as intently as you possibly could just to try and pick up on something. And I have no idea if the, if the panelists, if, if the, uh, the talent knows one week from another, if they know any earlier than week. Cause, but I'm trying to read into it. I'm thinking, oh, they're going to Syracuse. I listen to what Herb Street said. <laughs> they're leaning Syracuse. If, it, if, if Syracuse and Maryland was the last second field goal, would, would the game day be at Ames this week? 
Man, it's so hard to say. I remember watching the LSU-Texas game. It was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes before the uh, decision was put on TV. Now, maybe it was put on social media first. I probably missed that. I just saw it when Reese popped it up across the screen on ABC talking about the game. But maybe 45 minutes before that happened, I was just walking in the hallway, and I saw about three or four people conversing about all of the possible and so that led me to believe that while Iowa State was the front runner, I didn't catch the whole conversation. I didn't know if Clemson Syracuse was in there, but they were just having a powwow in the middle of the hallway. And I wouldn't say those were the decision makers. Those are just some people talking about the options. Uh, and then it would obviously go up the chain to the very, very top. Um, but there were, I would have guessed, a few schools in consideration. I think the consensus was there was no choice but Iowa, Iowa State. But I do think from what I heard, there were other schools in consideration. And then I think once you sort of parse it out regarding the actual score of the Maryland-Syracuse game, it became uh, an easy choice. So it's hard for me to say what would have happened if Syracuse would have kept it close. And obviously they had played Clemson close each of the last two years, having beaten them and, you know, had Chase Bryce not had a miracle last year, they might have won at Clemson as well. So I'm not sure, but I do know enough to know just by walking by that there were a few schools in consideration but at the end of the day, uh, this seemed to be the clear, obvious choice. Zubin, uh, a lot of other things going on with ESPN. 30 for 30, good's going again tonight. Can't wait for that. Dennis Rodman at the forefront. Zubin, we are of the same age range, and because of that, Rodman certainly a big part of growing up and, and the stories that were coming out, him and Madonna when he was with San Antonio <laughs> in a hotel room. I remember that one saying, whoa! <laughs> That was uh, one that made my ears perk up and hearing Peter Vesey and NBC's pregame show talking about that. Have you had a chance to see the documentary or will you be seeing it for the first time tonight? I have not seen it. I've seen some snippets of it. I thought you were going to ask me about the AT&T dispute, which seems to be a big... We'll get there. The yeah, absolutely. We'll get there. <laughs> That's terrifying. That, yeah, <laughs> for football fans. Right. I would say that for Rodman, what's interesting is now that you look back at it, like if somebody's in your audience that's in their 20s and... And it only knows him from, this sounds crazy, visiting Kim Jong-un. Yeah. It's the only thing they know about mm. him. I would say the one thing that Rodman really encapsulated that you see more often today than anything, even though he was obviously a little wilder than most people, and obviously the, the scale has shifted in terms of what is considered wild. I'm not sure Rodman is even wild today. He might just be eccentric. He was wild back then. But I think today, in any sport, you're seeing basically – Teams, general managers, head coaches, front office people, fellow teammates just say, you know what, no matter how quirky the guy is, no matter what idiosyncrasies he has, just embrace him. He's a part of the team, and it's really not a big deal. And Rodman was sort of the first guy to test that template because, you know, from things like being friends with Jack Haley uh, or, you know, the Madonna thing or the Carmen Electra thing, they just sort of kept it in line and treated him as a member of the team, and he's a little bit different than us. I think today there are several people that sort of have that persona of Rodman or have that sort of shock value of Rodman that we're sort of desensitized to it. But I think he was on the leading edge, and the Bulls have to be given a ton of credit because of his production to basically say, hey, yeah, he's not as clean-cut as Michael Jordan, cut as Pippen, but at the same token, he's important to us, and we're going to embrace him. And that's something that I think was seen as a little bit of an outlier in the 90s. And I think today... That's much well more expected, and for all sorts of players in all different sports, they just sort of wrap their arms around a player like Rodman 
whereas I think it was such an atypical thing back in the 90s to do that. Zubin, let's get to that other topic you just referenced, and that's the uh, the news that uh, was, well, it was put out on uh, Monday Night Football last night. Trent and I both missed it, and we're glued to the games, uh, but both missed it somehow, and then we saw John Oran's piece this morning. It's uh, it's frightening if you're a DirecTV subscriber and you love uh, college football uh, and Monday Night Football, because once again, it's uh, it's us, the, uh, the consumer, that's caught in the middle of a potential dispute between um, Disney, ESPN, and AT&T DirecTV. I know that you're not going to be able to shed any light on it, but it's king football, and I have to assume, if Zubin, if, if this is April, May, it might linger. But because it's in the middle of college football, I can't see disruption. Can you? Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think, not to use the old cliche deal, even though there isn't a hard deadline out there in the minds of many, um, it's deadlines make deals, right? I mean, we hear that all the time, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott, we've got to get him in there before Sunday. So I think that that, that cliche deadline make deals is going to be of the utmost importance here because, like you said, now we're into a situation where you don't want to meet, miss Monday Night Football or whatever else you're watching, Saturday College Football. So I think you're right. The time of year, the deadlines make deals thing occurs. But I would tell you a lot of these things are sprouting right now just because a lot of the mergers uh, recently it didn't get as much attention but AT&T had a huge carriage dispute with CBS, the broadcast network, which affected people's ability to get CBS games on CBS as well as CBS Sports Network, and that was resolved. Right now, I think Disney has an issue with Dish Network they do. over the distribution of um, Net Geo and FX, which is maybe not something the Miller and Condon crowd demographic <laughs> is into that much, but uh, they did acquire those two properties in their merger with Fox, and FX has put together some pretty good very well-regarded sitcoms, and I'm sure Nat Geo does have an audience for a different demographic. So they're trying to square that away with the other dish providers. So for me, I think it's one of those things where we're hyper-locked in on this because it affects our livelihood and our passion on Saturday and Sunday and all your listeners' passion on Saturday and Sunday, or I guess in this regard for us, Monday. Um, but I would just say that this is something that they were able to bridge with a broadcast network like CBS and get it done, and they're in a dispute right now with a couple of other probably lesser-known cable channels. So I think because this is sort of out there and it's been discussed at the highest level of CBS and a bit of a lower level with these two channels, um, and ESPN is probably right there somewhere in the middle, closer to the top, I would assume, uh, it's something that they're experienced with and dealing with. I don't have any idea what's going on. I just pay my bill when it comes. (laughs) But I think it's one of those things where we've kind of dealt with it this summer. We're dealing with it now on a smaller level. So I would imagine they're getting their reps in as far as negotiating goes. Uh, well, we do have some some good news about uh, people tuning in. It was uh, the double header was up nineteen percent over last year. So people tuning in to watch that double dip last night. Zubin, great stuff. Thank you as always. Uh, appreciate you uh, helping us behind the scenes with Cyhawk and how game day came to be, etc. Uh, and if uh, we get some suggestions at Miller and Condon as to what is uh, a game day can't miss, we will certainly pass them on to you, and you can uh, send them on up the chain. Thank you, Zubin. We'll talk to you in a week. You got it, guys. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Zuma Mahente from ESPN. Off we go to uh, NoCal next. Austin Arnaud, who now resides out there, former Cyclone Signal caller, joins Miller and Condon next. It's Des Moines Sports Station 1460. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 18 minutes before the hour of noon. Let's get right to him. 
Former Iowa State Cyclone quarterback, he's Austin Arnaud. He was the original Cyclone voice on the Monday evening quarterback that aired here and still does. Uh, different name, different host, but uh, still in that Monday 5 uh, p.m. time slot. Austin Trenton, Ken, good to catch up with you. Austin, how are you? I love it. I love this time of year, Ken, because I get to talk to you, buddy. How's it's, it been? It's good. How's Northern California treating you? How do you think? It's amazing. <laughs> Every single day, sunshine, beautiful, about 75 degrees, so I can't complain at all. Yeah, but it's expensive there, isn't it? Yeah, you know, there's fallbacks. <laughs> there's definitely fallbacks. But yeah, you know, uh, probably don't plan on growing roots here, buying something. Yeah. It's too expensive, but... You know, it's good for now. Uh, really enjoying it. No, it's a beautiful part of the country, no doubt about it. Well, I know that most of these questions that we're going to talk about now, I've already asked you over the years, uh, but the audience mm-hmm. changes, so we'll do this again. You know, just, uh, you know, growing up, Austin, where you did and the circumstances with your dad, et cetera, and, you know, you playing at Ames High and wanting to be a Cyclone and getting that opportunity and then playing in that game, what did it mean more to you as, as, as maybe as it did to some of your teammates? Did you have to impress upon them just what Cyhawk Week means? at any point in your career? Um, yes and no. So totally, you know, I think my my junior and senior year uh, playing against those guys, I think there's only two or three guys in the room of, you know, how 100 and however many guys I had scholarship offers from Iowa. So I took it personal. I was one of those guys um, who, you know, Iowa staff is a great staff. I mean, they've been, been together for so long, and, and, you know, you see that with Coach Ferentz and this institution over there. Uh, but it definitely means more, and 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 everyone wants to hawk up that yeah, it's, it's it's Iowa State Super Bowl. Well, you know, rightfully so. I think Iowa sees this game on their schedule in the circles as well. So that's, the misconception there is is pretty big, but it, it meant a lot to me, and, and always and always will. You know, it's not that we hate that team from over there, but you know, it's just not fun to talk about them, conversate, you know, all those things. It's it's just it's a rivalry. It is what it is, and it definitely means a ton to. You know, a guy like Colin Newell, who uh, who was another inside kid who also was recruited by by Iowa, but just decided to stay home. So it's, it's going to mean a lot to those guys, especially the local kids. You know, recruited by McCarney and that staff, then Chizik comes in, and you finish your career with Paul Rhodes as your head coach. Three different guys, three different ways of looking at this rivalry. How different was it between the three? Um, McCarney and Rhodes, very similar. You know, I think, I think even, in, in, and I think, Coach Campbell will even admit to this too. You know, Coach McCarney is the guy to call on on, on how to mm-hmm. beat Iowa. The, the series standing still is at forty four to twenty two. Iowa still got a large uh, a large lead in, in the in the series standing overall. But Coach McCarney and Coach Rhodes were very similar in the way we prepared. It was all about beat Iowa, all about this. You know, Chizik. You know, the, the middle years with Chizik, those were outliers. You know, we were just recruiting guys and trying to get people and. And, uh, you know, we were 2-10 and 10 my sophomore year with Chizik, so they you know, usually like to forget about. But, you know, McCarney and Rhodes, it was always it was always tooth and nail. It was always a fight, and, you know, they made it mean something. And, and, and we always had, whether it be a special guest from, you know, Marines or Army, someone, someone special always came in that week and, and talked to us about this game and, and really laid out the importance of, you know, okay, this is your in-state rival. This is a team that, you know, has had the upper hand on you for forever, seemingly so. So, it, to McCarney and Rhodes, it meant a great deal to perform in that game, and, it, and we always did. We, you know, it, with Rhodes, we we were, un, you know, overmatched in my opinion as far as his talent went, but we still fought, and uh, you know, that's a credit to Coach McCarney and Coach Rhodes. We always have guys that are going to fight and, and play for that Iowa State logo and play for those in-state in kids. 
Austin Arnott is our guest. Well, Austin, you know, Brock Purdy, I'm sure you saw the Northern Iowa game. Last year he burst on the scene. He's, you know, he's willing to uh, use his legs and run around and make plays, and it made him such a dual-threat quarterback. Then, you know, fast forward to this year, the only time we've seen him was week one. We saw a different version of Brock Purdy, at least for one game. What was your take on what you saw from Purdy as far as, you know, they? I guess they did it on purpose, that they wanted to keep him in the pocket. But boy, oh boy, he's such a weapon when he's using his legs. What What was your take after watching Brock Purdy against Northern Iowa? Yeah, ironically enough, I, w- I was back. I kind of snuck my way back into town for that U and I game and, and had a blast uh, catching up. The new stop end zone is amazing, isn't it? Nice, like yeah. It. Um, but yeah, Brock, I think I think that's coming with maturity, and Brock understands now. You know, he has a better grasp on the offense. First of all, so I think you see, you know, in the past quarterbacks, and, and I could speak to this especially. You know, freshman sophomore year, you're looking at your first read, second read, and then you're getting the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. So I think you know a little bit last year he would see his one, maybe his two read, and then and then take off. Whereas this year, I think he's got a better understanding. He's hanging in there. And and, and you're right. They didn't roll the pocket a lot for him. He, he, was, he was in there pretty tight. But I think that's by design to keep him healthy because, you know, I, I know there's quarterbacks in the depth chart behind him, but he's a starter for a reason. And, and he's got to go a long way this year. We're going to have to be pretty reliant upon his, his talent. I mean, he had a heck of a first game, 30 of 41, you know, almost 75% completion percentage. So I think that's by design to keep him upright. And uh, not take those big shots because he's not a big guy. You know, he's six one. You know, uh, maybe a little over two hundred pounds. But I think that's by design. I think it's just him feeling more comfortable in the offense and, and seeing things as they progress. One, two, three, check down, then take off. I think it's just maturity and, and him growing up as a quarterback. On the other side, you, you see Nate Stanley. You've seen plenty of his games throughout his three years as a starter at Iowa. A completely different kind of quarterback. And from what they saw in McIlwain that was running around for you and I out there as opposed to a pocket passer. Do you, do you anticipate anything from that side, anything that Iowa State's going to be able to do defensively going up a guy that is strictly that, a pocket passer? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and everyone knows Stanley's a great great player, great player. I mean, huge arm. He's got weapons all around. And I think the biggest weapon for him is that offensive line. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I look at. It. Iowa State's got to find a way to get pressure uh, on him and, and really neutralize the running game, which is going to be tough. You know, the, the Sargent kids had a great year so far, and he's obviously the feature back, but they have a couple other guys that can do it as well. So Stanley is one of those guys that, you know, you kind of sleep on him because he's got, you know, they got the big offensive line, they got the great running game, um, but he is an exceptional thrower, and he's, he's probably one of the better ones to come through there in a while, and they, they've had some good ones, as you guys know. So it's going to be fun to watch this game and watch it progress because, you know, as, as we all know, uh, Iowa State's even coordinator, John Keacock, he's had a, he's had a great uh, mm-hmm. past couple of years in scheming and game planning for, you know, whatever offense is thrown at him. But this is a different challenge. You know, this is this is a, a ground-and-pound type of team that's going to use a lot of play action, get their tight ends involved. So it'll be a different look than, we, than Iowa State usually sees uh, throughout the year. Um, but it'll be a challenge because Stanley's a great player, and, and like I said, he's got weapons in a and a big, a big offensive line to to help him get started. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go back to you and how you handled this game, Austin. And you know, when you at, at the end of the year, when you look back on how the year ended, would would they a loss to Iowa mean more than than you know a loss against an Oklahoma or a, or a Kansas State? And there's some heart wrenching losses in there. Did this mean more when you look back at the end of the year to you, and then potentially to other you know Iowans who played in this game? Well, I think where it's placed at on the schedule, I would love if this game was towards the end of the year. Uh, you know, it's it's great to have it early and get it out of the way for three non-con, but, you know, a lot of other teams, you know, Georgia's are attack there at the end of the year. I'd like to see this game at the end of the year. Um, but it, but looking back on it, you know, 
it would mean more to me if it was closer to the end of the year. But early on in, the, in you know, game two or game three, you know, when you think back, and, and it, unless it's like a season, you know, my, my senior year, we went five and seven. You look at that, look at, look back at a game like that, you know, you're looking at all the games you lost. It's right. Like, okay. What could have got us bowl eligible here? Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, no, um, not looking back at it, but I think that if that game was later in the year, there'd be much more onus on it. And I think, um, you know, it's just a tough spot playing, playing a team that good that early. And, and, and but, but, you know, that's what college football is about. You know, you schedule who you play and, and it works that way. So, It'll be interesting to see this weekend, you know, uh, you know what team's going to come out and, and, and be prepared and ready to start off the bat because that's going to be your winner, the team that comes out with the most intensity and then, you know, per, you know knocks that, that, that first team in the mouth. Looking back, what was your most frustrating loss? You, you, as a starter, weren't able to get Iowa. Is it that or is there another one that still, when you wake up sweating in the middle of the night, that still keeps you up? Oh yeah, I mean playing Iowa at home through four interceptions. I mean that, that's a that's a true testament to you know, and, and this is something else that I would tell Brock Purdy this week is you know take what they give you. Iowa is going to play their classic looks. They're not going to bring a lot of pressure. They're going to play seven across when they're down in the red zone. They're going to play quarter quarter half with the boundary corner, uh, you know, cover two in the in the boundary. So you know you know what you're going to get every single play. They don't they don't tip their hat very much unless they're blitzing. That's when you know. So this is going to be a huge game for Brock Purdy to to, mm-hmm. to assess and realize that he's got to you know take what they give him, slow, uh, not slow, but I mean as far as uh, you know methodical drive drives down down to get seven every time, and we always had trouble scoring touchdowns against him. We'd get down in the red zone, <laughs> we'd be great in the twenty, get down in the red zone and keep a field goal and either make or miss. Um, unfortunately, most time it was a miss, uh, <laughs> but um, you know I think I think. That those that's the, that's the one game of my college, well one of one of a couple of my college career where you know turnovers really bit us in the bit us in the rear end and, and uh, didn't have a shot because you know I threw the ball through four interceptions. Hmm. When you look at that defense that Iowa State's going to trot us, but particularly the front seven, and maybe that's unfair because Eisworth is, you know, he's really really good, and I think they've got some uh, they've got some good young talent uh, playing playing corner. But Bailey and Lima and Awazaruke, and then these two sophomore linebackers, Orion Vance and Mike Rose. You saw. Uh, uh, Vance's first start against you and I. He was terrific. Mike Rose burst on the scene last year. Man, that front seven uh, of Iowa State is salty. Yeah, and, and and usually that's one thing, and they're finally starting to build depth. depth to yeah. Build depth there. You know, that's the one thing that we've always. You know, we have one guy go down, and I was like, all right, well, who's going to fill in for him? So it's it's huge to see, and they're going to have their hands full. I mean, every year Iowa is, it prides himself on dominating one of scrimmage, whether it be offense and defense, and I think. I think Iowa State's defensive line and, and front seven will get after the quarterback and make some plays. Now, I really think it'll be a challenge for Iowa State's offensive line. I, they're a little bit banged up right now and playing a defensive front who got an immense amount of pressure on Rutgers last week. Uh, so, you know, they're going to have to work cut out for them. But, you know, Iowa dominates in the trenches, and, and Iowa State's got to change that narrative and just and kind of be the enforcer and, and be the first one to swing. Hmm. Austin, Austin, last thing for you. Was there, a, was there one or two of the Hawkeyes that were – you know, there's just trash talk that you know what out of you. Who was the best trash talker on the Hawks when you played? You know what? Uh, when I played, they, they really didn't. I mean, Claiborne always was talking, always, always talking. But when I played, Pat Anger, it wasn't even trash talk. He would, I, you know, we, I'd run like a quarterback read or quarterback zone or quarterback power and they hit him. And, you know, I think I was a little bit heavier than Pat, but obviously Pat was a very skilled player and played years in the NFL. But he'd yeah. be like, all right, great job, Austin. Nice run. You know, I think it's more the condescending with Pat. So, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, my boy Sash, you know, he yep. rest, in peace, uh, rest in paradise. He was always a good talker. Uh, him and Brett back there. Greenwood was very silent. 
about about his business. But Tyler, Tyler let you know when he was around. So I think uh, you know Pat and Tyler, those guys. Uh, and, and, and Adrian Claiborne were, were the talkers of that defense. Mm, well, you, you helped Sash get to the NFL, in my opinion. <laughs> How many times did he get you? <laughs> <laughs> he got me a couple. <laughs> I think maybe another eight. You know, but that's the one thing about Tyler. Man, the kid, you know, growing up and playing basketball with him, that's what you see, in, in my opinion, where you see guys with true athleticism sure. and just seeing him play hoops and, and playing football and just not taking a break. He, you know, he's, he, was, he was an NFL-type athlete. And walk on that campus day one. No doubt about it. Austin, great to catch up with you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on as always, okay? You bet, guys. Good Thanks. to talk to you. Austin Arnott, a former Cyclone Signal caller. Good stuff out of Austin there, too. Uh, really the good guy. Today. Yeah, he is a good guy. I've got to know him a little bit and, um, yeah, very, and very knowledgeable, obviously. Yes. Play quarterback position. Um, yeah, I'm glad that uh, we crossed paths when we did. And we got a couple more quarterbacks coming we up We do. Tomorrow. In fact, the guy that Austin replaced, Brett Myers, will join us tomorrow. And uh, love it or leave it, <laughs> Ricky Stanzi, following the Orange Bowl win, uh, will join us. So Stanzi at 11, followed directly by Brett Meyer. Cappy's part of the program tomorrow as well. Part of the program today brought to you by Fuller, Fuller Associates Family Dentistry, fullerdental.net, general dentistry, cosmetic dentistry, restorative dentistry. You can find Fuller Dental at a couple of locations, uh, 2822 East 29th Street in Des Moines. In Altoona, they're at 410 8th Street Southwest in Altoona. Doc Fuller's got three pairs of not Cyhawk, but upcoming. And the first tickets he's got to give away are Penn State tickets. Ooh, Iowa So Penn we State. will do that at some point probably next week for those. Nice. They've got one game beforehand, right? Middle, Middle Tennessee State. So we'll probably do something along the Middle Tennessee State. I think the other two are, boy, he told me. Northwestern and Minnesota, maybe? The Gophers, your pick to win the West still? My pick to win the West? No. Wisconsin's my pick to I win I give you the a West. mulligan there, you're not going to stay? No, I, th- I think I'm off the... Wisconsin, have you seen them? Haven't given up a point. I haven't given up a single point. They lost a lot on defense, and yeah. they don't look like they have missed a beat. And that's for sure. One Sometimes more... a year early... Maybe that was upset on the Badgers last year. Preseason top five. Never thought of that angle. Murph and Andy cover a lot of angles. They'll do so with two. Then the Fanatics at four. Morning Rush starts it all again on Wednesday. Appreciate you being with us. Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.